0: Hey, good evening, Cornerstone. Man, I hope you guys are... Ha- are you having a good week so far? Good week so far? All right. How many are just glad that they made it and, you know, it's one of the... All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to need some, some energy from you tonight, okay? I, I, this is exciting for me. I, I'm, it's a privilege that I could be here tonight. Um, you know, I uh, got a call yesterday and, and talked to Lynn and knew he was sick. Um, and then they called and said, Hey, can you fill in? And I was like, yeah, you know, praise the Lord. I I love to teach the word of God. So I'm excited. I I hope you are as we open the the word of God tonight. Um, God's word is given to us to change us. And although as we go through some of these verses and things like that, um, some of it may be an intellectual exercise, but it's always intended to Um, To change us and that's one of the reasons I I love the book of first Corinthians because first Corinthians is a very practical book Uh, Paul really gets into it now as I talked to Lynn um, He kind of filled me in on on where you guys have been uh, in chapter one so far and he also told me that you guys like to kind of chime in and You know ask questions and that's great Sometimes I get talking and I I go too fast. So please, you know if, if I blow through something you know, raise your hand. You, you want to ask a question, please do so. I don't promise to have the answer, but, you know, I'll do the best I can. Um, and, uh, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad that you're here. We are in First Corinthians chapter 1. Now, one of the things that I like to do, and I kind of asked Lynn if I could do this for you as he kind of shared what he was doing. I like to lay some groundwork um, whenever I teach through a book and whenever I teach a passage because um, I love to know the context of the teaching, Paul is saying something for a reason and he's teaching it into a particular context and I, and I find it extremely helpful for us to understand what, what the situation is. And so as I talked to Lynn, Lynn, Lynn said, you know, go ahead and do that because he hadn't done a whole lot of that. So, so let me do that for you just a little bit. Now, um, who wrote this book? Paul did, okay? We know who Paul was. Um, he was an apostle. He was not one of the original twelve, Okay. But he came on later. You read the book of Acts, you'll find where Paul came in. Remember, Paul's name used to be Saul. Okay. Um, Paul is writing. Now, if you go to Acts uh, chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 is Paul's second missionary journey. And in Acts chapter 18, the first 17 verses or so, you'll find um, where Paul came to Corinth. Corinth. Now, everybody take your Bibles because I know when you come to the mine, you bring your Bibles. Go to the back of your Bible, find your map, and find where Corinth is. Corinth was a major um, uh, Roman colony which had been previously a Greek colony that they, you know, kind of destroyed back in the B.C.s and made back up and it kind of grew. And at this time, um, in, in Acts chapter 17, 18 here. It's about A.D. 50, 51, 52, somewhere along those lines. Paul is visiting and he's going through Corinth. And Corinth, just to give you an idea um, and, and why this book um, is so practical for us, is that um, like many of the places Paul planted churches, Corinth was one of those major metropolitan, um, major crossroads. It had two separate ports that you know brought major traffic and major commerce. Um, in fact Corinth think of Corinth this way think of Las Vegas on steroids okay that was Corinth in fact there was a there was a saying that um, uh, to to act like a Corinthian was sort of this catchphrase back in the day that meant very similar to what you and I would consider you know terms that we use about Las Vegas to you know what's it happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. When we hear the word Vegas, there are certain things we think about. Um, as a Christian, it may be a little bit different than maybe what some people outside these walls might think about Vegas. But you get the idea. It's, it's a place where you go to get away from morality. It's a place that you go to get away from maybe the, the, the parts of life that you don't want to... You know, you want to get rid of your constraints. You want to go and do whatever. Well, that's what Corinth was. Okay? And so Corinth was uh, one of those kind of places, and on top of that, uh, the reason I say it was like it was like you know Vegas on steroids, because not only was sexuality rampant in Corinth, it, it was part of the religious system. I mean, there was uh, uh, the goddess of love, Aphrodite had this great big uh, 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 temple there, and very much like in Ephesus, there was uh, instituted in the religious worship, prostitutes. I mean, so I mean, talk about you go to church and 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 sleep with a prostitute, uh, and you were doing a good thing. I mean, this was you know part of their culture. This was Corinth, and as Paul came through, um, he established a work um, of Jesus Christ. He planted a new church. Now, talk about a tough crowd. Talk about a, an area that was anti, you know, the message of Jesus. And yet we find Paul in Acts spending some time teaching in the synagogue, moving into, into someone's house. He was able to win the leader of the synagogue and and, and just a church grew and people came to know Jesus. Alright? Now, as Paul moved on, if you kind of read through through Acts, you'll find he went to Ephesus a little while later. Fast forward about four years. It's now AD fifty six. And Paul is in Ephesus on his third missionary journey and word comes to him that the church in Corinth is having some trouble. And that's where you kind of read a little bit. He talked about, you know, this house of Chloe kind of sent some word that there were some divisions and problems and things that Paul, you know, they had questions he begins to address later on. But this is the context for the teaching of Corinth the corinthians were as you can imagine were having a lot of the same troubles that churches in america have how do we uh, abide by the teachings of jesus christ how do we grow in our faith how do we maintain integrity and holiness in uh, a culture that is so anti what what jesus wants us to do that it, it's 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 difficult and what happened in is in corinth They they started getting into trouble and of course as as you talked a little bit last week um, The first four chapters of of corinthians here first corinthians He begins to lay out what the problems are the first you find are divisions I I don't want to take this to the next level and pull out, you know in essence my corrective You know rod of correction my belt and, and, and you know give it to you like a father. He says I'd much rather do this in love but he says if you guys don't cut it out if you don't get your act together you you know i'm going to show up there with judgment i'm going to show up there with all the authority given to me by the lord jesus christ and there's going to be some come to jesus moments with some people in the church i mean that's what paul was saying so that's the context that's what paul is writing to and that's why i love it because you and i can really relate because we live in a culture that is countercultural to the lord jesus christ that it, it it you know some of the things that Jesus asks us to do don't make any sense when compared to what the world says we ought to do the 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 community and culture around us you know we watch movies and TV and all that kind of stuff and all of that all of that that culture teaches us to live one way and Jesus said no 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 you don't don't do that you need to live this way that's what he's talking about here okay and that's what Paul is addressing now uh, from what Lynn tells me, you went through the first 17 verses, so we're going to pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Now, I'm going to back up just a little bit to keep us flowing in what we were talking about. Now for me, uh, I'm using the New Living Translation. I, I know out there we, we've got a lot of people who have different translations that you're looking from, so it's going to say slightly different, but you'll get the idea as we go through, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now before we jump in, let's pray. Okay, let's pray and ask God to, to take these words, the words of Paul, the words of God, and to touch our hearts and open our hearts tonight. Can we do that together? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And God, we ask now for the next few moments as we dive into your word, as we read these things and we kind of recognize what Paul was dealing with, God, that, that we could apply it to our lives, that we could apply it to uh, our situation. Um, God, that we might be transformed and changed by the power of the Word of God. God, bless us tonight. Strengthen us. Lord, rebuke the powers of darkness, the distractions that will come tonight. Help us to focus on you, to hear you, and to worship you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You were talking last week uh, in verse 10 as he's going through, he's talk, talking about the divisions. And that's the point where he's talking about, well, some said they were followers of this person and some that. And Paul's like, man, I'm, I am so glad I didn't baptize you because, you know, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus Christ. Now, as he continues in verse 17, where you left off for Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news and, and, and Lynn really shared with you what that good news is, that gospel message of Christ and not with clever speeches and high sounding ideas for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Now he gets into some of the things, some of the issues that were causing the divisions, some of the problems. Watch this now. Verse 18. I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. The message of the cross, the word of the cross. That word, word or message is the same word he used in verse 17 when he talked about the speeches there. In other words, he's comparing the the words of men to the words of God or the message of Christ. And he says, I know very well how foolish this message is. How this message of the cross and what happened. You talked about the good news and what that means. How foolish it is to those who are on the road to destruction. But we, he says, who are being saved, recognize this message as the very power of God. This This is pretty pretty powerful because you and I sit here tonight convinced. I mean, I, I'm talking to a room for the most part. I mean, there may, there may be somebody here who's not convinced in who Jesus is, but by and large, the people sitting in this room are already convinced. As I stand up here and I tell you about how Jesus came and how he lived and how he died on a cross and shed his blood that you and I might have a relationship with God, that we might have the forgiveness of sins, we all nod our heads and go, yeah, yeah, that, I mean, I'm here because of that. My life has been changed because of that. But how many of us can say, you know, with, with absolute sincerity and clarity that, that we've talked to people before in sharing our story, in sharing what Jesus has done for us, and they just look at you and shake their head and go, I don't get it. Dude, you're weird. You know, are you going to pull out the togas? What, you know, What? where's the Kool-Aid you're drinking, right? There are people that you know. It may be people in your family that you've tried to reach out to and maybe you've been praying for for years and they just don't get it. They look at you and you give them the message of Christ over and over in different ways and you try to get them to come to church and, and, and they just don't get it. And they think you're an idiot. And you and I, who are the convinced, we sit back and go, we don't understand why you don't get it. That's what he's talking about. You see, to those who are unconvinced, the preaching of the cross seems like foolishness. The idea that, that, that our somehow our, our heavenly existence and, and our future home is based on a, on a man who came and lived and, and, and died on the cross. And, and, he, you know, and that doesn't make any sense. Why would he have to do that? And then the fact that he, he rose again? I mean, you know, that's the message of Christ. A dead man walks, right? A dead man walks. We believe in a risen Savior. That's what we believe. That's the, the power in the moment. But to somebody who doesn't understand yet, it seems weird. And this goes into the idea, and we're going to look at this for just a minute, but the idea that, that God would hinge all of eternity... And all of history would point to this one moment of jesus christ and and that God would send his son Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin and live a life, a sinless life and and to die in a, that that was the answer well, why would God do it that way i mean if god i mean think about it. i mean if, if if God is god and and, and why wouldn 't he do it some other way why wouldn 't he just snap his finger and forgive everybody or why wouldn 't he just you know write a message in the clouds or why, you know, know, I mean, there's a lot of doubt that there's a lot of, what's all that about? But God had a reason and and God had a plan. And what you need to understand and what Paul is trying to get to is that God's plan is not going to make sense to somebody who doesn't know him. God has to get them ready. Now watch this. Stay with me. He then quotes in verse 19, As the scriptures say, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. In in that particular passage, he's just quoting Isaiah chapter 29. That's a passage uh, that, that they're familiar with. So where does this leave, Paul says in verse 20? So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? Paul says, where does this leave everybody who thinks they know? Now again, remember the context. Remember the, the the culture in which he's he's talking to. These Corinthians are immersed in a culture, and and by and large, um, although it's a Roman colony, it's 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 heavily Greek because it's right there near Greece. Okay, and you remember the Greek culture, that whole philosophical thing going on. They they took philosophy to an art form. They took the the. The art of thinking and contemplating and, and and arguing in some cases and all of this debate and, and I mean they took it to a whole nother they thought they were it. I mean they just their culture thought that that this was you know they were the epitome of understanding. And Paul says, Where does this leave them? Now stay with me because I'm going to show you something. God has... got uh what is it? What has it done with them? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Since God, in His wisdom, saw to it that the world would never find Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching, Paul says, to save all who believe. Paul says that the the, the plan of God was to use our foolishness, the message of Jesus Christ are proclaiming that message of hope in Christ, that God chose to use that foolishness to bring people that message. Okay? Now watch this. God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign. Now now he's talking specifics here. Remember, he's talking to two distinct groups of people in his audience. Alright? One are the Jews. Um, the Jewish people who were, who were scattered throughout, um, the message of Jesus Christ was coming to them. And the reason it was a problem for the Jews, again, go back now to, to the New Testament where Jesus' ministry is. And what did the Jews always want from Jesus? The Jews always wanted signs. They always wanted you, you, miracles. They wanted Jesus to do spectacular things. They wanted Jesus to write in the clouds. They had an idea of what the Messiah was supposed to look like. In fact, you look at the disciples. And the disciples did not even understand this message until after Jesus died and rose again and, and ascended. I mean, remember Peter? Peter, one of the guys who sat at the feet of Jesus. Remember when Jesus told him that the Son of Man will be will born? Be, uh, uh, Put into uh, um, captivity and, and, and killed and, and all that kind of stuff. Remember when he said that? And Peter was like, no, 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 that's never going to happen, Jesus. No way. And Jesus rebuked him. Remember that? Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, after Jesus had specifically told his disciples over and over and over that I will be led away to die Jesus, I mean, Peter still didn't get it. Whips out his sword, tries to defend Jesus, cuts off that guy's ear. Remember that? Peter still didn't get it. The Jews didn't understand. Because to them, the Messiah was going to come as a conquering hero. The Messiah was going to come in this great, wonderful, miracle, smashing of the Romans, I'm taking charge kind of thing. And they all believed that to be the case. And so when Jesus walked and he talked about his kingdom and he talked about what was coming and he tried to explain who the father was, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, Jesus, give us a sign. Okay, Jesus, give us a sign. And if you look and you watch, the, the, Jesus did some signs, didn't he? I mean, he did some awesome miracles, but Jesus often did them in inobscure, off to the side kind of ways. He never stood up and, and, and did these things in such a spectacular way that everybody would see. Now, there were a few miracles that had a lot of people there, like the feeding of the 5,000 and all that. But by and large, it was a little bit over here. Don't tell anybody. and A little bit over here. Why? Because Jesus wasn't there to give the Jews a sign. He was there to explain the Father. He was there to usher in the kingdom as he told them about but it was going to come through His death on the cross, and they didn't get it, and it was foolish to them. I mean, because after all, they knew better. No, 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 the Messiah is not... What's that all about? And in fact, they would often turn to the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, they'd go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and they'd go, see, in our own little things here, it says that anything that dies on a tree is cursed. See, to the Jews who were looking for the sign... It was foolish. But they missed the best signs of all. They missed what Jesus was trying to do. That's why to the Jews, it didn't make sense. Now look what he says. The Jews were offended. And the Gentiles say, it's all nonsense. You see, the, the Greek philosophers of the day, as they talked about and and. and, and you know greek philosophy and all this kind of thing some of the some of the major talking points for them um the greek philosophers pushed the idea that 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 god that god can't possibly um be connected and and show emotion that god would have to be absolutely detached and separated because you know he he couldn't he couldn't get involved in emotions, he couldn't get involved in mankind because that would that would lessen him to the Greeks thinking. God would have to be aloof, God has to be separated and, and unemotional. And so as Paul preached this message that the Savior was born, became man, and dwelt among us. That Jesus loved us and loved us enough to die on a cross to a Greek. It's like, what? Why would God do that? God would never do that. And so to the Greeks and their way of thinking, it was, it was un- unbelievable. No way. Keep going. The Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, that's us. Those who answer the call. Now let me pause there for a minute because we could spend a great deal of time talking about this point. And there are differing viewpoints on this particular point. Let me give you, as best I can tell, what the Scripture teaches about God calling us. I believe the Scriptures are, are pretty clear You go back to John chapter 12 where Jesus talks about that the Son of Man being lifted up and and when He is, that God will draw all men to Himself. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know that verse? I believe the Scriptures teach us that God calls all men. That through the gospel message that Paul's talking about here, in whatever ways that means, you know, whatever medium that is, but the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out that God, through that message, in some form or another, draws all men to Himself. What He gives us is free will, a choice to say yes or no. Now, this is, a, this is a point of contention with, with brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other and are going to heaven and are going to share heaven together. There are those who would say, no, God does not call all men. He only calls some. And there are some verses. Like I said, we could spend all night talking about this. We could spend weeks talking about this issue. All I'm going to say is that as best I can tell, as I read the Scripture and I look at the whole picture, I think Lynn talked about that last week a little bit, that there are often um, principles found in the Word of God that are supported by multiple, multiple, multiple Scriptures and ideas. And sometimes people like to take certain verses and pull them out of context to say something. And you have to look at the body of Scripture and the body of the message to get the whole picture. And I believe in this particular instance, when you look at the whole picture, you find a God who loved us enough to send His Son to die on a cross, that He shed His blood for all of mankind, that God is not willing that any should perish, the Scripture tells us, but that all should come to repentance. But then God gives us the choice. And that's where that's where the rub comes. Because some people... Some people don't think that we have the choice, okay? And I get it, and, and, and we can disagree on that. But here's, here's where I think the rubber meets the road. Here's why I think the choice is absolutely valuable. You go all the way back to the beginning when God created Adam and Eve. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've kind of studied the story, the question has to come to mind. Okay, okay. God creates Adam, God creates Eve, God knows everything. Why in the world did He create Adam and Eve when He knew they would sin? Why didn't He say no to them? And You know, we, we ask those kind of questions, but here's the deal, listen. Why did God create Adam and Eve, and why did He put a tree in the middle of the garden where they could eat something and get in trouble? I mean, why not just not create that tree? We'd still be in paradise. Everything would be great. And I think it comes down to understanding the heart of God. I think it comes down to understanding what God desires from you and I more than anything else. Our love. God wants our love. He wants us to want Him. And here's the thing without getting all philosophical on you, you can't have love without choice. Because if there's no choice, it's not love. And that's why, again, when, I, when we talk about this issue, we look at the body of the work and we say, if God was after our love, He had to give us choice to choose Him or not to choose Him. And if that's the case, that same choice runs throughout history. And even when it comes to this most important of issues, salvation and eternity and and forgiveness of sins and what we so desperately need, God still gives us the choice. He draws all men. The Holy Spirit knocks on the door of all men. But He gives us the freedom to say, thanks but no thanks. And the truth is, for some of you in the room, you know some people like that. Maybe you have some family members like that. Maybe you have, whatever. You you know of some people who, when presented with the truth, and they were on the edge, and you knew it, and they were just there, and they just said, nah, not going to do it. God gives us the choice. And so, that's my take on it. You could disagree with me. That's okay. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to you know, spit in your food or anything. I, I won't do that, okay? We could disagree about that. We're still going to be in heaven together, and we'll go, and you and I can go and talk to Jesus about it and go, okay, who was right? I, you know, tell him he was wrong, Jesus. I, you know, I, whatever, okay? You get the idea. So, let's move on. That was a little side note, but we wanted to talk about that a little bit. All right, so, but to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, he says, Christ is the mighty power of God. And the wonderful wisdom of God. Now stop there for a minute, because Paul's about to say a couple things here that are really cool. And and I think sometimes, as Christians, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, we we lose this moment. We we get so caught up in the day to day. We get so caught up in you know running around. And and I get it. I, I have five children. Okay, right now I have five part-time jobs. So I, I understand busy. I understand. I mean, I, I was out last night at midnight doing a, a, a merchandising run in, in Walmarts and got up this morning at, at 6 and was was out working all day and ran to the office to try to get ready for you guys tonight. I get busy. And in there I had to pick up my kit. But we can never in the busyness Forget what's at the core of Christianity. The power of God. And and as Brian even mentioned, there may be some of you in the room and and, and life is beating you down. And trust me, I've been there. I I really have. You know, I, I know a lot of you don't know my story. But God, in the last six months, has brought me through some incredible hardship. Some incredible beat-me-down, I-don't-want-to-get-out-of-bed kind of stuff. And, and in those moments, and in the, the hustle and bustle, uh, we, we forget the power that we have through Jesus Christ. The power to get through the day. That doesn't mean that Jesus is is, going to clear the clouds away every time you look up to heaven and say, God, can you just fix this mess? No. Sometimes He's going to hold your hand through that mess. But the power is there for you and I. Look, look what He says. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. Man, that's another point we could spend time talking about wisdom. And what that means for us. The wisdom of God. You go to Ephesians chapter chapter 5 and and God calls us to live a life in wisdom. I think Lynn's even preached preached on that before. The idea that God calls us away from the edge of disaster and calls us to live a life of wisdom. And Jesus Christ can give us that wisdom. So look what he continues on. Look. Look. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Somebody tell me, as, as you read through this, for me anyways, as I read this passage, some things started popping in my mind. Give me some examples, if you would. You can shout them out or, whatever. Give me some examples in the scriptures in which God chose to use weak things to demonstrate his strength. Give me some examples of that. David and Goliath. Great story, right? We all know that story. Little shepherd boy facing the nine-foot giant and Hopefully, all of you believe that that was a real story. It wasn't some metaphor for something else. It was a real story. What else? Okay, all right. What was her name? It was kind of an ex- obscure name. Give me another. Give me another story. Gideon, great story. Remember Gideon? Lowest tribe, lowest you know family in the tribe. And God goes to him and says, "You're going to deliver me from the deliver my people from the Midianites." Remember that? Did you ever wonder as you read some of those stories? Let's take the Gideon story. You remember that? Gideon gathers all these men around him after he does the whole fleecing and all of that stuff. Remember that? And, and he's got, what, like, like 30,000 men? I think that's the number. He had like 30,000 men. And the Midianites had over, you know, hundreds of thousands of men. like Tons. Lots more. So at 30,000, I think, is the number. Somebody correct me if I'm, if I'm off. But, but they were way outnumbered. And then God said, "Now nah, you got too many. Hey, let's do a couple things here. Let's whittle them out. And remember the number he ended up with? 300. Now that's a good, a good 300 movie. Talk, right? Okay? That's a good 300 movie right there. 300 guys against these swarm, and, and didn't you ever, as you read through some of those stories, go, why did God do that? I mean, 30,000, they were still out. Now, why? Somebody else, give me another story. Who? Ehud, tell me the story. He was kind of gimp. And he basically, uh, his disability was used, he was able to get in with the sword and kill the king. Oh, I remember that story. Kill the bad king. Yes, that's right. All right. What else? Give me another story. What? I can't hear you. Oh, Queen Esther's story, that's right. right. Remember Esther and Mordecai and and that whole thing? He used Esther, this, this gal, to rescue... Over and over and over and over and over, you'll find God using these little things to do big things. And why did He do that? Why did He do that? To make Himself the focus, right? that nobody could look and go you know Gideon those guys were just awesome no 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 there was there was no hey good job gideon you're the man no 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 it was all wow look what god did wow god got the glory god showed himself powerful you know we could go, moses going in and taking on pharaoh and all of that this is what he's talking about. This is often why God chooses to use the little things in life. The little people. All right? Those who are... I mean, look at who he chose his disciples. The, the, you know, the, the tax collectors. And, you know, these, these uneducated fishermen. I mean, Jesus didn't go around looking for the most brilliant minds, the most brilliant thinkers and speakers in his community. He took the people that everybody looked at and went, aren't those those guys that can't, I mean, unschooled, uneducated, right? Look what he says now. Because he makes this point. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, he says, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. The truth of the matter is that the message of Jesus Christ, although it reaches all levels, all ethnicities, all groupings of people, primarily, in, in even in Paul's day, who it reached were the downtrodden. Who it reached were the slaves. Who it reached were the poor. Remember when Jesus in the New Testament talked about, you know, that rich man came? And Jesus, you know, he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, you've done all this stuff. Great, great, great. Now I want you to go sell everything you have and follow me. Remember what the rich man did? He got up, hung his head, and walked away. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, few rich men enter the heaven, right? Enter through the gates of heaven, right? The point being not that wealth keeps you from God, but when you have wealth, the attitude needed to receive Jesus Christ, that act of repentance and humility, does not come easy to somebody of means. Because wealth often brings with it arrogance and pride. And that, not the wealth, but that attitude is what will keep you from the kingdom. That attitude Will keep you away from accepting Jesus Christ. You see, because somebody who has a lot, got there on their own, picked themselves, you know, made something, there's nothing wrong with that, but that attitude can create an arrogance and a pride that says, I don't need I don't need a gift from Jesus. I, I'm gonna make it myself. I'm gonna get there on my own. That's what he's talking about. And, now let's get back to the teaching. That attitude is what was creating a lot of the division Paul is dealing with. That attitude of arrogance and pride that was, well, I'm of this person and I'm of that person and I follow this person. All that is pride and arrogance. So look what he says. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing what the world considers important. So that, and listen, this is the point, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. It sounds like what he said over in Galatians. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm quoting King James to you there. See? Right? Because no one will be able to come to heaven. Nobody will be able to come to the throne of God and say, God, I got here on my own. God, I made it. I did it. I did everything I was supposed to. I went to church. I did all this. I did all, you know, the whatever that means. I I gave to this and help. No, no, no. That's not how you get to heaven. You see the point. Good people don't get to heaven. You know that, right? Good people don't get to heaven. Forgiven people get to heaven. Did you hear that? You, You understand that, right? Good people don't go to heaven forgiven people go to heaven and by that we mean those who have those who have humbled themselves repented and received the lord jesus christ as their personal savior those who have said i can't do it on my own i am nothing in the sight of god i can't get there on my own merit and i can't get there without jesus and i receive the lord jesus christ as my personal savior that person is forgiven there won't be anybody who gets to heaven and goes, yeah, not going to happen. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Any questions on that? That's a pretty pretty potent point. Just want to make sure. Okay. All right. So he goes on. Now, now's the climax. I, I love this part because this, this, is, this is cool. Look at this in verse 30. And how am I running on time? Okay. God alone, he says, now verse 30, God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. For our benefit now, for our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. You could sit on that one for a while. You could sit on that one. He made Christ to be wisdom. Wisdom itself. We live We live in a world, we live in, in, in a culture that pushes us in a certain way. I think we would all agree that there are some tenets, if you will, of our culture. Um, some, some rules, if you will, some, some principles to follow that when you watch you know, whatever, whatever it is, you, you, it's it's filtered in, you know, stuff like, you know, if you're going to get somewhere, you got to get there on your own, you got to, you know, it's a dog eat dog world, you got to climb the ladder, you got to, you know, you know, eye for an eye, somebody hits you, you hit them harder, so they won't do it again, um, you got to, you got to make sure that, you know, they don't get up if you hit them, you got to, you know, I mean, you just got to take care of number one, take care of yourself, you know, be all you can be and live all you can live because you only got one life. You know, the person who who dies with the most toys wins. Um, You know, life is all about being happy. And if I'm happy, you know, then that's what it's really about for me. And so everybody around me needs to understand that it's about me and being happy. And, you know, and so if I've got somebody in my life who doesn't make me happy, well, we'll just get rid of them and get somebody else because then they'll make me happy. Right, life is about happiness. Life is about having stuff, being comfortable. Comfortable's big. Okay, if you're not comfortable, man, you know, jobs that make you uncomfortable, people make you uncomfortable. You, you know, just move on, get out of it. You know, it, it's about being comfortable, it's about being happy. Right, it's about attaining and getting, and you know, getting. You know, you got to take care of you. Right, I mean that we would all agree that's what drives our world and then add some sex in there. Okay? That helps. That helps drive that happiness. It sells things. It you know, it's it's all there, right? And yet as a Christian, we come to church and we try to listen to the teachings of Jesus and we try to to sit at the feet of Jesus so to speak and listen to him. And the wisdom of Jesus sounds a whole lot different. Jesus says weird stuff. Jesus says stuff like, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Turn the other cheek. If somebody tries to steal something from you, give it to them. You know, if somebody tries to force you to walk a mile, walk too. He you says know, weird stuff like that. You know... Love your enemies, what is that about? I mean, but, if, you know, they're, they're abusing me. If you understood how, you know, love people, help people, all those kind of things. The wisdom of Jesus. Let me challenge you. Another a sidebar, but as you leave, and maybe this week, go back to this verse and, and, and just sit on it for a little bit. And ask God, what does this mean? That Jesus is wisdom itself. Can that really help me? Is that really something that I can hold on to? What does that mean? Then 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 he finishes, I love this. Look at this. For our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. He is the one who made us acceptable to God. He is the one who made us acceptable to God. Wow. He made us pure and holy. Some of your versions might say sanctified, or sanctification. He gave us Himself to purchase our freedom. As the Scriptures say, the person who wishes to boast should boast only of what the Lord has done. Paul, in addressing this issue, talking about wisdom, addressing this issue of pride and arrogance and, and, and the dissension and this, you know. And, and you go back to James. And he he, he writes, in uh, James writes about where do the quarrelings and the fightings come amongst us? And James says they come because we don't have what we want. Ultimately, it's about selfishness. That's where divisions come from. That's where we fight. I mean, let's be honest, right? You fight with somebody because they either don't give you what you want or they, you know, take something from you, you know? Right? They do something you don't want them to do so it upsets you, right? That's where the fighting and the quarreling comes from. That pride, selfishness. Paul here is, is saying, look, The answer to that is not to be thinking about yourself and not to be thinking about how, you know, your happiness and your, you know, it's about me and what I need. That that we are nothing without Jesus. That, That without the blood of Christ, without the sacrifice of Christ, without Jesus rising from the dead, we would be nothing. That Jesus in that moment gave us freedom. He purchased our freedom. He made us acceptable to God righteous in god's eyes that's what we rest on and as you as you study now through the rest of the book these three things he just mentioned the 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 freedom the righteousness right the justification those three things he talks about there he then uses throughout the rest of the book as major themes to remind those people who are fighting and quarreling and getting into trouble and allowing culture to seep in that, look, we are here by the grace of God. Can I just say that to everybody in the room? You are here by the grace of God. Not because of what you did or what you earned or what you deserve. You are here saved by grace. That's it. And we have to remember that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. And, and God, I, I just ask that, that we could let some of these words sink in. You know, as Paul was addressing some of the quarreling, some of the divisions, some of this stuff. God, that, that we would remember what it's all about. That we would remember whose we are, how we got here by the grace of God that we are, we, we are nothing special. You know, we're special in the fact that you love us, but 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 we haven't earned it. We haven't, we, nothing because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that life isn't about us and our happiness. And that selfishness is what causes these fights. God, bring these things to our mind this week. Help us to think about the wisdom of, That comes through Jesus Christ. That it might impact our lives. We love you. We praise you. Bless our weak God. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Hey guys. Thanks you for letting me be here.